Well, in our gospel today, uh, we have something very, uh, it's very sorrowful, uh, very tragic, uh, but yet there is um, a silver lining, there is a hope, uh, there, is a, there is an element of hope in this as well. Um, Christ is very uh, sorrowful because of the rejection um, that, uh, that Jerusalem and that the people of Israel in general and the, the Jewish people uh, have shown towards him. If you think about it, it's an amazing thing. God himself, God Almighty, full of all goodness, good intent, our creator, our maker who wants nothing but what is good for us, he shows up on the scene to try to help us out and we reject him. Think about how tragic that is. And of course, it's repeated time and time again throughout history and in our own personal lives as well. Uh, but in an especial way, we see it taking place here in Jerusalem because they go so far as to actually kill God. God shows up to help them and they kill him. So um, Christ is lamenting over that. But there is this element of truth because at the end he says, you will not see me again until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, there's a lot to that verse right there, but if you understand what he's talking about, he's referencing a line from a psalm that was commonly understood to be about the Messiah, commonly understood to, uh, by the Jews of Jesus' day to be about the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what Jesus is here implying, at least the vast majority of commentators say this, is that uh, at some point the same people who rejected him, the Jewish people, will actually come to acknowledge Christ. And it is part of the teaching of uh, sacred scripture, and it's a teaching of our Catholic tradition, that the Jewish people who have rejected the gospel for upwards of 2,000 years now will, at the end, just before Jesus returns again, accept it. That's an amazing, amazing event. To think about... All, and that's even after all of the bad blood between Jews and Christians, crusades and everything else. Okay, All the pogroms and the Christian persecution against Jews and all of that kind of stuff has gone on. After 2,000 years, the Jews are actually going to come to acknowledge their Messiah. That is an amazing demonstration of God's power in human history. It, it seems unbelievable, like, yeah, come on, that's not going to happen. Okay, from natural perspective and calculation, you look how things are and where they're going, you'd think, it won't ever happen. Impossible. Well, we've got it on the Word of God that it's going to happen. And so uh, we have an amazing hope. If we, if we can have hope that the Jewish people will be converted to Jesus Christ, we can have hope for anything, anyone. No people group, no situation is beyond... Uh, the power of, of God to bring about conversion in the hearts and minds of men and women. So that's a great hope, and we, we, should, we need to stand on that and have great faith in that. Now, with that hopeful message, I'm going to frame, we're going to have, be a little bit critical here. Okay, So we go back to uh, Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, and you know, we wonder, I've been doing these um, Wednesday night talks, and I'm past my personal testimony, and we're talking now about uh, the problems really in the church, why the decimated numbers? Why is no one coming to mass? Why is everybody losing the faith? You know, why are the, why is the, the, the church shrinking? OK 
okay, at least in the northeast of the, of the United States. Why is this happening? So, you know, we were reflecting upon these issues and uh, talking about problems. And so it's a moment for me here to be thinking and talking about this and get a little critical. The devil cannot win the war. Okay, we know that God has won the war. Even in the end, is something as amazing and unbelievable as the Jews converting to Jesus is going to happen. So the devil is, has not won the war, but he can win battles here and there. And our job is to fight him and to make sure that he doesn't win the battle or he wins as few as possible. That's our job. And to do that, we've got to have the full armor of God. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, put on the full armor of God. You've got to have, in the Greek, it says a panoply. You've got to have the panoply, meaning a full uh, set of weapons and defenses against the devil. If you're lacking one piece, the devil's going to get in there and he's going to see your weak spot and he's going to go in there. He's going to look at a parish. He's going to look at a diocese. He's going to look at a people or at a culture. He's going to see the weak spot and he's going to get in there. So our job is to be complete in our defenses and in our weapons in this spiritual battle. So what's the first thing that we need to put on? He says, uh, stand fast with your loins girded in truth. So the first thing is that our loins need to be girded uh, in truth. Now, uh, so think about the soldier. Here he gets up and he's got um, you know a cloak on or something like that, and it's all loose. He, he, the first thing he's got to do is get a belt on, tighten himself up, before he can even begin to put the other pieces of his armor on. All right? Um, so what is, what is this thing that girds the loins, that gets us prepared, the first and foremost thing? It's truth, more specifically fidelity. Truth between, uh, from our mouth. Uh, correspondence between what we say and what we do. In other words, integrity. Okay? I think about this. How many times does a Catholic priest look at a parent's when they're bringing, they're presenting their child to baptism, he looks at them straight in the eyes and he says, by undergoing, having your child undergo this baptism, you have committed yourself to bringing your child up in the ways of Christ, teaching him to observe all that Christ has commanded us. Do you fully understand what you are undertaking? The priest looks at the parents right in the eyes and the parents smile and say, yes, we fully understand. And then you never see them again. <laughs> so the first thing, the integrity, commitment, uh, correspondence between what we say and what we do, that's got to be the first piece of the armor. And because that's missing, the devil's having a heyday with us. So, second, uh, we've got the loins girded with truth. Then we've got uh, the breastplate of righteousness. Okay? So, righteousness here, it means a life of total uh, righteousness and goodness. So, we're talking about virtue. Alright? And, uh, you know, so often, what it is to be a good Christian is reduced to uh, something something very, very much less than what tr a true, full-blooded, uh, well-rounded understanding of virtue is. It is reduced to being nice to one another. So niceness, so, so Christian virtue is reduced to being nice. And uh, oftentimes, this concept of being nice is actually really a vice 
because it inhibits the person from exercising other virtues, like speaking the truth. So oftentimes people feel that, well, if I have really strong convictions about the truth of the gospel, such that if what Jesus says is true, what these other things uh, you know, that are being said are not true, you know, that's a little bit being judgmental and that's not being nice. So I can't really hold to the gospel very firmly. All right. So being nice now becomes cowardice and a lack of virtue. So we have to have an understanding of Christian righteousness that's full-blooded. So we've got prudence, we've got justice, we've got fortitude, we've got temperance, we've got humility, we have got magnanimity, we have got uh, <clears throat> uh, courage, and it, this is a, a more well-rounded understanding of virtue. And that's the breastplate. The breastplate covers the heart. So if you want to kill someone, you go straight to the heart. But if we have righteousness, we're going to be defended. That's what the battle comes down to. It's sin. Okay, The, the battle comes down to sin. The devil knows... That if he gets us to sin, well, he's won. That's what he's, he's all about. He's a tempter. And so our main struggle is against sin, and it's a struggle for virtue and righteousness. Um, then he says, stand fast with your feet shod in the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now, this kind of readiness is a preparation, and uh, we are unprepared. And this comes down to education. Catholic education, boom, potted out, totally sunk, okay? And it's a real problem. Education has got to be an absolute priority. Uh, our children are growing up without having the least concept of Christianity and of, and of their Catholic faith. So education is that preparation, is that formation is absolutely essential. And and that's one of the elements of the armor that's been lacking. And then shield of faith. It quenches the flaming darts of the enemy. The flaming darts of the enemy are the times when the devil comes in and he tempts individuals in a very strong manner, uh, with a ver- in a very fiery manner, in a very strong manner having to do with the passions. What are the passions? There are many, but I think the two big ones are probably uh, lust and anger. Okay, So when we exercise our faith, we're able to transcend those passions. When we exercise faith in the various truths of the gospel, our souls are lifted up above the animal level of existence, and we're beginning to live in heavenly realms, and we become impervious to the strong temptations of the devil. Okay, So that's faith. And then uh, he says, take the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation we know from other passages in St. Paul has to do with hope. And we need to live our lives with eternity in mind. And this is another weak spot. We live our lives for here and now. And so if you ask a lot of people what religion, the main purpose of religion, they think, well, it's basically to make me feel good about myself and to make me help me have a, a happy life. Whereas... What the scripture teaches is that happiness is ultimately a future reality and we exercise hope in it. And so we're heading towards these final ultimate things 
And if we have to involve, if this involves a bit of suffering in this life, well then so be it. It's part of the journey, it's part of the battle towards ultimate happiness. That's our hope. Our hope is in ultimate happiness, not necessarily in happiness in the here and now. Uh, so that's another element of weakness that, that we have. And then they talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I think that's similar to the preparation of the Gospel, having the feet shot of the preparation of the Gospel. So uh, the Word of God is just simply knowing Scripture, knowing the truths of the faith, knowing the creed, such that you could announce it yourself and defend it if you had to. Again, going back to education, it's a real weakness. And then prayer. With all prayer and supplication, pray it out every opportunity. Prayer is key. We need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to really know him. And we do that through prayer. And then prayer is the means by which God gives the graces we need to win this battle. Apart from grace, we're going to lose. So prayer is key. And then he says, and then St. Paul says, pray for me that I'd have courage. So we need to pray for our, we need to pray for Pope Francis. We need to pray for our bishop. We need to pray for our priests. And the main temptation for the, for the clergyman is to be, is to have lack of courage so that he doesn't speak the truth because he doesn't want to offend anybody. So you really got to pray for priests that they would have the courage to speak the truth so that people could really hear the truth and be converted. So my brothers and sisters, uh, you know, I'm being critical here, but all of this criticism is understood uh, in the context of that ultimate hope that something as impossible as the conversion of the Jews is going to take place. God has won the battle. And that should give us a great hope and a great confidence to be able to fight uh, the battle uh, and, and to win the battle.